Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 126 of the Money Love Podcast. Y'all, I have another incredible guest episode for y'all today. I know that you are going to love this one. And I normally don't do guest episodes back to back, but Carly and I sat down late last week to record this episode. And I normally have a little bit of time between recording and putting an episode out with guests. And I just told her, look, I'm putting this out next Tuesday, aka today, (laughs) right? I know for a lot of you that are listening to this, because we had a conversation that I think we all need to hear, especially this time of year. We really talk and cover so many things in this episode. Carly shares her story of getting out of debt on her and her husband's salary, a teacher salary, and her husband who was in nonprofit ministry. We talk about why it's so important to have a plan for your money, her steps for developing a plan for your money. But we also spend a huge chunk of the episode talking about debt. And debt is just one of those topics that I feel like I get asked most often from you guys. And I think one of the most common questions that I get is like, well, where do I start? How do I even make a plan for my debt that is realistic and that I can stick to, but that also is going to keep me motivated? And Carly does a fantastic job in this episode really breaking that down for you. So this is definitely going to be one of those episodes that maybe you want to listen to it and then listen to it again and take notes because it's very tactical. And Carly is a former educator. You're going to hear her talk about this. But the reason that she is so good at what she does is because she is a teacher at heart. She does a really good job of taking super complicated topics and making them easy to understand and approachable to understand. And that's absolutely true for our conversation today. But we also spend, I would say, the last 10 to 15 minutes of the episode talking about the holidays. And I know that many of you guys have told me that your holiday season is going to look a little different this year based off the financial situation that you're in. And I know that's certainly the case for my family as well. And Carly is approaching her Christmas different this year with how she's spending money and how she's buying gifts for her kids. And so she really gives some awesome tips for those of you who feel like you're just going to have to cut back this holiday season. You're not going to be able to spend as much as you've been able to in the past. She gives you some amazing tips for that, along with some incredible mindset shifts that you can carry with you for this holiday season. Carly is a mom of four and she loves seeing life through numbers. Like I said, she has used her background in special education to break down these complicated topics in finance in a way that is easy to understand. She has online courses and coaching at the Debt-Free Mom, and she's helped hundreds of women move from feeling stuck in their finances to becoming stable money managers. So if your current finances are built on uncertainty and worry... Do not worry. Carly is going to help you build a budget around your unique pay periods and give you confidence around your money. I know you guys are going to love this and please show Carly the love. If you enjoy this episode, do not be shy about sharing this episode on your social channels. Tag me and tag Carly at debtfree.mom. I know that we would both greatly appreciate it. Enjoy this one. I know you're going to love it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Carly Hill from The Debt-Free Mom. Carly, welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I am so, so happy to have you here. 
I was on your podcast a couple of weeks ago and we just hit it off. We had a great conversation and I've been following you for a while. I'm such a fan of your work and what you do. And I just think having you on the podcast, especially this time of year with the holidays, just to talk all about debt and the holidays, it's just the perfect time to have you on. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to swap. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would love just to hear more about your story. And can you kind of share your background with your financial journey and transformation and how the debt-free mom came to be? Sure. So when I got married, I was still, we were both in the middle of college actually. So we did not even have a full-time income combined between the two of us. We were both full-time students. We graduated about two years after we got married and had, I think a combined like 19,000 in student debt, which is not a lot of student debt for two degrees. I'll say that we did a lot of hobbling along with part-time jobs and lived at home and, and, you know, one year tuition waivers and, and all these kind of things to kind of piece together as low student debt as possible, but we still had about 19,000 and then had about 6,000 on a car loan. We both went into careers that are not known for their high incomes. My husband went into nonprofit ministry and I went into public school teaching. So as we got out of school and we felt like, okay, now we're making more money than we ever have before. But at the same time, it's relatively low. We really wanted to get our finances into a place where we had more options. We felt like we didn't have very many options being very low income while having this debt that felt kind of like a mountain to pay off. Mm -hmm. So we really hit the ground running with trying to pay that debt off as quickly as possible. I, for so long, I just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I knew that's not going to be possible if we're you know, trying to live on one nonprofit organization income while having a bunch of debt and having very, very little in savings. So we were trying to clean that up, really scrambling to pay things off. We did pay that debt off in about two and a half years. And in that time, we had our first son as well. And so I left my full-time teaching job, but because of where we were at financially at the time, I had to take on two part-time jobs to replace that teaching income. And I just remember being so frustrated by that because it wasn't, if you know if I had been given a gold platter and given any option that I could take, I would have taken the option of staying home full-time, but that just was not in the cards. And our finances were the reason for that. So that really motivated us to say, what what changes can we make so that we have the options on the table that we want to have, that we're not funneled into a decision that we would call less than ideal for what our priorities are simply based on our debt or simply based on our income. So over time, we as we paid that debt off, we then worked on saving an emergency fund so that we had more than just $1,000 in savings. And as we hit some of these markers, I was leaving, you know, one part-time job and then eventually I left my second part-time job. So the first time I was actually a stay-at-home parent was 2 months before my third son was born. That was a big milestone for us because that was what I had been working for for so long. Um it took over 3 years to get to that point, but we were just thrilled by then to be like, okay, we're stable enough now. We have the options that we wish we would have had 3 and a half years ago. Now we can take that option. So I was so thrilled to be a stay-at-home parent. I think three months into being a full-time stay-at-home mom, I was like, I need to do something different. (laughs) I need to use a part of my brain that's not just who needs their diaper change and who wants a snack and, you know, laundry and stuff. And I, I just realized that I was a better person overall, better wife, mom, friend, everything, by also having something else that I could think about. And so when I didn't have the means to just start paying for childcare for three children under four, 
I just uh, started talking on Instagram about something that I liked. So a lot of people assume that my background is in finance. It's actually not. It's in education. And so my background, my training is in education. My interest lies in personal finance because through that journey, through those couple of years, I realized by ordering your finances in a certain way, you can increase the options you have. And it doesn't take a multiple six-figure salary in order to feel like you have created a life that you're happy with. And that was what I really became passionate about was like, I know there are other, specifically other women out there who feel like money is the reason they can't make some of these choices. And so if I can help them to order their money in a way that opens those doors, that's what I want to do. So what I really blended was my personal interest in personal finance, budgeting, all those things, and then relied on my education to say, how can I take something that is taboo and frustrating and overwhelming, like budgeting, like money, and turn it into something that is motivating and and transparent and open to talk about? So, you know, like in my degree, we learned how to take complex things and break them down in a way that the student not just understood it, but was excited to learn it. And that's what I do at Debt Free Mom. So it started as just an Instagram account where I was like, well, it costs nothing for me to to talk about this on here. So while I'm home with my kids, I at least have that release of using my brain in a different way. And so we just started talking about what we're doing. We were at the time we were trying to save up a down payment for our first home. And so that's kind of the, what I documented it quickly grew into people being like, can you just do that for me? Like, can Mm -hmm. you just make a budget for me? Like, I see what your budget is, but I don't want to make one for myself. Can you do that for me? So that was like summer of 2019. Debt-Free Mom was less than a year old as an Instagram account. And I just started toying around with a couple, you know, like I did it for a few friends. I made a budget for them. And then I was like, okay, I'll do it for $10 for a follower, you know, just like really, really testing the waters of if it was something that I could do and that people would actually be happy with the results. So fast forward four years from that point, we've just slowly continued to build both a community on Instagram and then also build out services and products in the business to offer all kinds of everything from a template that people can fill in themselves by pay period that's only $9 all the way up to a full scope course where we can teach them A to Z how to go from, I have no idea what my numbers are, all the way to I'm tracking a consistent, reliable budget. So yeah, that is my journey in just a couple minutes of going from frustrated about our own finances, meeting those milestones, but then frustrated about, you know, my job situation and all that stuff. And then leveraging, you know, when we talk about resources, I did not have the resource of money in order to start a business or, you know, like I said, pay for childcare, but I did have the resource of time. Now I I say that and moms out there are like, how, how did you have time? (laughs) <laughs> I I made time for it because it mattered to me to feel better, you know, to just yeah. like, you know, in nap time, instead of just, you know, binging seven episodes of The Office in nap time again, I'm going to talk about this and, you know, think a little bit. That, that was the thing. I'm just, I'm a thinker. And so like, mm-hmm. I actually feel more grounded, feel more like myself when I give myself opportunities to think deeply. And what I was finding was in the, in the, you know, mundane activities of little kids, I didn't get those opportunities to think deeply. So yeah, use the resource of time to be able to pour into an Instagram audience and grow it. And I'm so thankful for what it now is today. 
Yeah. You truly have like one of, I would say the best communities that I've seen on Instagram. And I think that's what really sets you apart is like, you've actually built like a community, right? Like when people join your community, they're like, I feel like I'm a part of this group now. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think says so much about, about what you've built. And just listening to your story, I, I see so many parallels. Like when I'm hearing your story, I'm like, oh yeah, same, 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 Mm -hmm. same. But one thing that I do kind of want to talk about that I think, I think this would be a really good place to start is you talked about ordering your money in a certain way. Once I showed women how they can order their money in a certain way that makes sense for them, that's kind of where I have everyone start. So is there kind of like an order that you teach, like a priority that you teach this first, this second, this third? I know we all love ourselves a good checklist and a, a good, good checklist yes. to run through. <laughs> yeah. So there's a few things that have to happen like once, like a one and done kind of goal. When you, when you go from, I'm not tracking my spending at all. Sometimes I'm having to pull money from savings just in order to float my credit card because I'm not sure why the balance is so big. There's a few things that we have to do first and only really have to do them once. And then there's other things that we have to do long-term, ongoing, where we don't stop doing them. So I'll first talk about the ones that we kind of do one and done. So number one, we need to consistently spend less than we make. And that sounds obvious. That sounds like, why would you even say that? Of course we do. I build 30 to 50 budgets for families every single month. And I can tell you confidently that there are a lot of people that are not doing that yet, mm-hmm. where their their ongoing expenses are larger than their income. So I found as I was building budgets for people, okay, I need to take a step backwards. You know, I would start with like, build your savings and then pay off your debt. And I think I was missing the piece of, actually speaking to people who are currently spending more than they make and not making that a shameful thing where it's like, well, you got to clean up that first and then I can help you build your savings or whatever. So now I actually talk as as if that's the first goal. I actually assume that someone is mm. spending more than they make and then I get to be happily surprised if they're not. So that is step number one is consistently spending less than we make because all of the other goals that come after it, they use extra money. So they use a positive gap between our income and expenses. So if there is nothing left over, what are we putting into savings? If there is nothing Mm -hmm. left over, how are we paying down our debt? If there is nothing left over, how are we investing? So we have to do that first. So what that looks like, the mechanism by which we can consistently spend less than we make is first, we have to have a plan. And I say that purposefully avoiding the word budget, because when we say that people are like, Oh, I don't want to live on a budget. I don't want to, I hate being on a budget. And I just think it gets it gets such a bad rap when really it's simply a plan. It's like in whatever career that you're, you know the listener has, if we tried to just fly by the seat of our pants on our job every day, at some point our boss would be like, why are you not planning this out? Why are you not thinking through this in advance? That's all a budget is, is saying, I know I'm getting this paycheck. I know I'm responsible for these bills. I just want to make a plan ahead of time so that I make the most of that paycheck. That's all a budget is. So by laying out a budget first, we can start to see things more clearly. Like if you know that you spend more than you make, I want to know how much is it? Because if you overspend by $100 a month, we can pretty quickly clean that up. If you overspend by $1,000 a month, it's going to be some bigger decisions, you know, maybe trading in a vehicle or picking up a part-time job. It's going to be, you know, the larger that deficit is, the larger the changes we're going to have to make. But we need to know those real numbers. Otherwise, I find people making decisions very reactionary where they're like, oh my gosh, I spend more than I make. So I just, I just need to go out and get another job. 
but they don't look at the real numbers first. And the real numbers might tell them, hey, you don't need to go get an extra job. If you ate out two less times a month, which is not hard to do, you would be fine. By looking at those real numbers, we get clarity about where they're at and we can see, do you spend more or less than you make? And if they are currently overspending, then we make plans to at least adjust and have a consistent gap between their income and expenses. So that absolutely has to happen first. Nothing, I call it a full stop goal. Nothing else is gonna happen until that's happening. Once that is happening, then we look at your savings because cash equals options. So by having cash on hand, you give yourself options. Every time you put $10 into your savings, you've increased your options. So the very first thing I have people do once they have that gap is to save up at least one month of expenses in an emergency fund in a savings account. One month of expenses could be you make a list of all your expenses that you would continue to pay even if you lost a job. So everything related to your housing, your transportation, your clothes, your insurance, your food, what would you keep paying even if you had no income? Add those up, that would be one month. If you want to go on the higher end of that, just do one month of income. Once we have that, then that person has already ordered their finances in a more secure way and they're ready to start paying off their debt so that they can pay it off in a way where it stays off. A lot of times people are like, oh, the debt is the problem. The debt is the reason I don't have options. So they jump straight into paying off their debt as quickly as possible. But if they're not currently spending less than they make, then they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. And then if they are spending less than they make, but they have absolutely no emergency fund, while they're paying off their debt, anytime anything unexpected comes up, they're actually adding back into their debt because they don't have cash to rely on. So yeah. by spending less than we make, saving up a starter emergency fund of at least one month of either expenses or income, and then settling in to pay those debts off, we're ordering our finances in a way that even if something unexpected happens, we don't have to revert back to the things that we used to do. No. And I love that order. And I'm totally with you. I have some thoughts on like both of those, right? Before we hop into the debt conversation, because you're absolutely right. I know it's like one of those things of spend less than you make. My father-in-law, it's really funny. One time he said like, my father-in-law like doesn't understand like what I do. He thinks yeah. <laughs> that it's like, just like the most like ridiculous thing because he's like, well, all you got to do is just spend less than you make. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what I tell him is, is I'm like, first of all, of course, easier said than done, but it's like, you would be surprised at how many people out there aren't following that rule. And I mm -hmm. say that not to like shame anybody or to make anyone feel bad. It's just like the classic case in personal finance. To your point, most of us know that we should be doing that, right? right? I mean, I feel like most of us learn that at a very young age, spend less than yep. you make. But knowing it and actually doing what you know mm -hmm. that you should be doing are two very, very different things. And yep. I love how you call it a full stop goal because you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. It's like until that is happening, we can't move forward. Until yeah. that is happening, we can't save, we can't invest, we can't pay off debt. And then your second goal, your second step in that of building up savings, I'm really glad that you clarified that. That's probably one of the first or most common questions that I get is, should I save first or pay off debt first? Mm -hmm. And I think saving up at least one month of expenses or one month of income is so, so critical. And I know that like, it's hard because what I see, I, I don't know if you see this too, but mm -hmm. people just want to jump right in to paying off debt. I yeah. know this, this time of year, they're like, okay, I'm getting my end of year bonus. 
Mm-hmm. First question is, well, what does your savings look like? Right. Yeah. Because they want to take it and throw it all at the debt. But it's like, yeah. if you don't have any savings, part of that needs to go up to build savings. And then whatever's mm-hmm. left, you can put that towards the debt. So I love those steps. And I'm really glad that you clarified that. But let's kind of go into like the third phase of this, which is the debt mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. I told you this before we started recording. But I feel like there's a lot of confusion and it feels very like complicated and very elusive of I'm in debt. I'm in credit card debt. I have, you know, student loans, credit card, car, personal loan, whatever it is. How do I even start to approach that? Someone who's just in complete avoidance mode right now, let's just say making like minimum payments. How do they actually go from that point to making an actionable plan for their debt that feels doable, realistic, and like something that they can actually stick to and stay motivated to do Mm -hmm. over the long term. Yeah. So I think that last part is really the important part that you actually have to make it be something that is motivating and that you want to keep doing and that it's not just about the math. I think that is a a holdup for some people is they're like, okay, well, mathematically, which debt should I pay off first? And it's like, it's actually not about that because if it was about the math, then we wouldn't have taken on the debt in the first place. So the way to get out of the debt is going to be to focus on our behavior, focus on what motivates us, what incentivizes us. So when we're looking at a list of debt payoffs, there's two two of the most common options for ordering the debts to choose which one to start with are the debt avalanche and the debt snowball. So the debt avalanche lists them in order from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate, regardless of the total balance owed, regardless of how big the monthly payment is. And that is the one that is most mathematically advantageous. Like that will Mm -hmm. technically avoid the most interest. However, what often happens when you order them from highest interest rate to lowest is that some of your large debts end up at the top. So you're looking at like a year of chipping away at one debt. You're not going to even eliminate one debt for over a year. People have had their like fed up moment where they're like any extra money I'm putting towards my goals, I'm committed, I'm not going to waver, like those kind of things. Then the debt avalanche can be a good option because like I said, mathematically, it will cost you the least to pay them off in that order. However, anyone who is struggling to keep a consistent gap between their income and expenses or feels like, you know, I'm going to be motivated for a month and then I'm just going to lose interest and rack up the credit cards because I'm more interested in something else or who just needs a quick win, who feels like they've been beat down by their finances over and over and they just need to see a win for themselves. I recommend for them the debt snowball because it lists them from smallest balance to largest. And it allows them to see quick wins, number one, which is that emotional motivation part. But it also frees up income quicker because if we eliminate an entire debt quickly, we also eliminate the minimum payment along with it and allow Mm -hmm. ourselves to pay the next one off faster. One caveat to that that I always say, I mostly rely on the debt snowball. However, I first divide the debts into high interest rate and low interest rate. So if people have, you know, some credit cards that are like 28% interest, and then they have a student loan that has 6% interest and a car that has 3% interest and a medical bill that has 0% interest, I put those lower in the order, even if the balance might be smaller. 
So once I divide them into high interest and low interest, then I order them from smallest balance to largest so that I'm not spending a year paying off a 0% interest medical bill while I have a 28% credit card, for example. But then what we do is we make sure that the high interest debts are prioritized first. And I do them in order from smallest balance to largest so that people can start to see those wins, see those motivation. Because I really believe if someone can commit to paying off that first debt, no matter how they feel, once they see a paid in full, there's something that switches. There's like, yeah. oh, number one, I can do this. And number two, this feels better than how I felt before. So if somebody can just say, you know, from, from the time they start paying off the debt to the time that first one's paid in full, then I'm just going to, I'm going to commit to the process. Even if I'm like, oh, this is getting boring. This is, I wish I could do something else with my money. If they can just get to the moment where they see that first paid in full and the next month they get to keep more of their paycheck than they did before. I really think that turns a corner for people. One thing that I'll kind of throw into the ring is just something that I've heard referred to as like the emotional method, which is kind Mm. of looking at your debt from which of these debts is just causing me the most pain emotionally. So do you owe money to a family member? To your point, maybe it's 0% interest. Maybe your Mm -hmm. family member has been like, hey, I'll loan you this money and you don't even have to pay me any interest on it. But Mm -hmm. just emotionally, you're like, I just, I hate the fact that I owe this money to my father-in-law or to Mm -hmm. my mom or whoever. Mm -hmm. And so also kind of looking at your debt in that way, because exactly what you were saying, I think if you can get yourself some really quick wins in the beginning, and then Mm -hmm. also kind of get the debts out of the equation that Mm -hmm. are causing you the most angst emotionally, Mm -hmm. that is a surefire way to get you motivated in the beginning. And one thing I want to just say too, that I see a lot, I think it's really good that we talked first about making a plan for your money and then you tackle the debt. Because I Mm -hmm. just want to say this too, if you try to approach your debt payoff journey or process and you don't have a plan for your money Mm -hmm. and you just go in being like, well, this is how much money I have left over in my checking account after all my bills are paid. So this is the amount I'm going to throw towards the credit cards. Or I think I can throw this amount towards my debt every single month. Is it good that you're putting money towards your debt? Absolutely. But what I I see, and I'm sure you see this a lot Mm -hmm. too, it's like, it's counterproductive. It's like taking two steps forward or even like one step forward and two steps back. Because Mm -hmm. when you don't have a plan and it's not clear to you, what can I be putting towards my debt and which debt should it be going towards? Mm -hmm. You often end up putting too much towards your debt, which sounds kind of like a weird problem to have, but then you put too much towards it. And then you realize, well, shoot, now I don't have money to pay this and this and this. And then those things end up having to go back onto a credit card. And again, it's one step forward, two steps back. So having a plan for your money, that's step one. And once Mm -hmm. you have a holistic view of your income, your expenses, Mm -hmm. the extra amount that you have to go towards your debt, Mm -hmm. then it's like, now we can tackle this so that you're not in a situation where you're again, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Okay. So pick your payoff method, decide Mm -hmm. which one you want to do. And then what's next after that? So, and I think one thing important to say at that point too, is there isn't actually a right or wrong way. I think people see success when they have a plan, not the right plan, a plan. The three things that we just offered, there's no one right way. So there's not a right plan. And if you don't order them exactly in this order, then you're never going to get out of debt. Having a plan is so much more important 
because then we give ourselves steps to do in order. So we don't have to keep making decisions. Cause I think the decision fatigue with the money also happens a lot. What I see often is when people don't have a plan at all, then like you said, if they have extra debt, a lot of times then people are like, okay, well, $50 extra onto each of my debts so that I just Mm. feel better, you know, kind of scratch an itch kind of thing, but it's not actually moving them forward. So when we have a clear plan that I'm going to do one thing at a time, be able to check it off, then we start to see that progress. And it's so much more important to have a plan than it is to have the plan. There's no one right plan. So I just want to first say that if people are like, okay, well, you know, based on what they said, I have to do this method. Otherwise my debt's not going to get paid off. You could do the avalanche. You could do the snowball. You could do the emotional one. You could do a mix of all three and you're still going to get there as long as you have a consistent plan. So once people have those debts in order, then I, I say, just get laser focused on the first one. Obviously keep paying minimum payments on the other ones. What often happens is that because we want to do so many good things with our money, so putting money in savings is good and paying down debt is good and investing is good and giving is good. And so we have a hard time prioritizing those. And so we spread what ex- whatever extra money we have really thin, trying to do a bunch of things at the same time. And then people are like, okay, I'm six months down the road and nothing's been paid in full. My savings is only, you know, $400 higher in six months or something. Just focus on one at a time. Then the progress feels so much more substantial. And again, that increases that motivation, that consistency. So once you have a list of debts and you've decided this is the order I'm going to pay them off, then whatever extra you have based on that plan, based on that budget that you've created for yourself, just keep sending that extra onto that first debt. And as you start to whittle it away, then you'll start to see your actual progress much quicker. One important note, just mathematically, about if that first debt happens to be a credit card, the minimum payment on credit cards is always calculated based on the balance owed. So every time you pay a little bit off on the credit card, the minimum payment required gets smaller, but you've already built a budget based on that larger minimum payment. So you can keep paying that amount without changing your budget. And each month, more and more of that payment is going to go to principal instead of interest. So if somebody has a credit card that has a $200 minimum payment, as you whittle down that balance, you're going to see your statement show a smaller minimum payment each month. Continue to pay the higher minimum payment because you're already used to that. That's what you have been doing. And that's going to continue to chip away at that principle so much quicker. And I have really found power in as you're paying debts off in small amounts, small amounts matter so much. Mm -hmm. So in the process of paying off those debts, you know, you have your budget that says, okay, this month I can send $300 extra to that credit card. Good, great. Do that. But if you happen to get, you know, a small amount, even if you like sell something on Facebook marketplace and it's $20, don't convince yourself that $20 is too small. $20 can't do anything. $20 chipped off of a 28% credit card is no small thing. And that really does start to get that momentum going, especially at the beginning to say, you know, I have my budget. I'm going to send the amount that is reasonable. That's not going to send me over the edge so that I'm going back into debt. But all along the way, if I come across extra money, whether it's that I came, you know, I set aside $150 for gas this month and I only spent, you know, $140, send $10 to debt because it starts to feel fun. It starts to feel more like a game where you're like, oh, I found even more than I thought I could. I enjoy seeing myself as my, you know, biggest opponent. I like to compete against myself. And so if you have a plan, if you're like that, not everybody is, but if you are like that, where you like to compete against yourself and challenge yourself, 
if you have that budget and it says you can do a certain amount, try to find creative ways that you can do just a little bit more than what that amount was. And it just starts to feel more fun and less of a chore. That's awesome. I think gamifying things, or Mm -hmm. I think that when you go through the debt payoff journey, right? Like my husband and I have been through one that took us almost six years. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's actually a journey where you get to know yourself Mm -hmm. like on a really deep and intimate level. And I think when you first start this process, give some thought to like, what are some things that are motivating to me? Am I a visual person? Does having something like visual, like, does that Mm -hmm. help me? And does that keep me motivated? Am I somebody who needs and does well with accountability? So maybe like looping somebody else into this process that I can Mm -hmm. share wins with, but can also help keep me accountable. It's like really give some thought to like, what type of person am I? What are Mm -hmm. things that I like? What are things that are motivating to me? And how can I incorporate that in to keep me like going through this journey? One question I would love to get your thoughts on, because I get this question all the time. What are your thoughts on consolidating credit card debt into personal loans or kind of doing like the 0% balance transfer? Because I know sometimes people will come to me and they're like, I've done my numbers, I've made my budget. And just where with the numbers fall right now, it just feels like I'm only able to make the minimum payment on my credit card and maybe like a little bit extra. And it just Mm -hmm. feels like to your point with these super, super high interest credit cards, it's like, it Mm -hmm. just feels like the needle is not moving. And like, at what point do I just say, I'm going to consolidate this into a personal loan, or I'm going to transfer this to a 0% card Mm -hmm. and kind of give myself some more breathing room there. So there's a few changes that I like to try and make before jumping to that. My my caution with personal loans is that once you set that up, you're locked into that monthly payment for the entirety of the life of that personal loan, as opposed mm-hmm. to like having it broken down into four or five different debts. Every time you would eliminate one, you would completely eliminate the payment along with that and free up more money over time. So for example, if you roll a bunch of credit cards into a five-year personal loan for $400 a month, you are locked into paying $400 a month for the next five years. Yeah. It's a caution. It's not a no. It's just a caution to be aware of. Um, Definitely something to think about. Yeah, for sure. With the 0% interest balance transfers, I am not opposed to that at all because obviously 0% interest is so much better than 28% interest. What I do say that people should do first is that they should prove to themselves that they're consistently spending less than they make and that they have extra money to send towards debt. Otherwise, I see time and time again, you know, four or five different 0% interest credit cards, and they're all coming due, you know, seven months from now. Mm -hmm. And they're not anywhere close to having that paid off by the time the 0% promo period ends. I like to say, I think a happy medium with that, if people are like, uh, oh, I've played the, I've played the balance transfer game, right? Like people have done that and it doesn't work for me. I end up in more debt is to to calculate, to again, rely on that budget. And if your budget says you can do an extra $300 a month to your debt on top of all of the minimum payments, if you find a promo card that has 12 months, 0% interest, transfer $3,600 onto that 0% interest card. And you know that you'll pay that off because you have that 300 a month. So that could be a, an option for people if they're like, I don't want to send $20,000 in credit card debt over to this 0% interest card only to be slapped with a big interest bill a year from now. 
So I think finding a realistic amount, deciding, okay, this is what we can realistically pay off within the timeframe of the balance transfer. And I'm going to go ahead and transfer that over. And again, I mean, it keeps coming back to this, but in order to have that be successful, we have to have a plan for paying it off. It's not, if people are using the balance transfer to delay solving the problem, that's Mm. not going to work. Right. Yes. And I think sometimes people are just like, oh, well, if I transfer it, then I don't have to think about it until 18 months from now. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I can just delay problem solving. That's not the solution here. If I see people who are like, this is my plan, this is my budget. And I want to transfer this so that while I'm consistently paying it off, I have less interest charge than I would if I left it here. Great. I'm, I am all about that. But yeah, definitely a strong caution that if people feel like internally that their motivation for doing it is avoidance, that's going to be a red flag. Yeah. It's crazy how quickly 18 months rolls around. Yes. (laughs) You're like, it's been 18 months. Like, it's like all of a sudden you get that notification where it's like, Hey, your 0% is coming up here in a Mm -hmm. month. And you're like, how has it already been 18 months? And I think you're absolutely right too, with the personal loan side as well. It's just exactly what you were saying is have a plan. Like I think both of those things can be tools that you leverage Mm -hmm. along your debt-free journey. But I love how you said like they shouldn't be used as a way to just further your avoidance with your debt. It's like, if you're going to use those tools, use them strategically. Mm -hmm. And like with the personal loans, I kind of think like one more danger that I'll kind of give with that. It, you know, it's like danger sounds like a very serious word, but just another thing to consider, right? Like you said, you're locked into that minimum payment. The other thing I'll say with the personal loans is that you typically use that for credit card debt and Mm -hmm. it will wipe out your credit card debt. It's going to take all of the balances off your credit card debt and put them into this personal loan, Mm -hmm. which then means you've just freed up all this capacity that you have on credit cards, which from what I found people doing a personal loan typically are in a situation where their credit cards are either maxed out or pretty close to being maxed out. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden it's like, boom, you have all this capacity now on credit cards. And if you haven't really done the work or Mm -hmm. identified the behaviors that got you into debt in the first place, you will end up racking up the debt on the credit cards again. I've seen this cycle over and over. I kind of call it like the credit card personal loan cycle where it's like Mm -hmm. you rack up the credit card debt, you consolidate it into a personal Mm -hmm. loan. Then you rack up credit card debt and then you consolidate that into a personal loan. And that cycle will repeat, 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 Mm -hmm. repeat until you've actually address the behaviors of like, why did I get myself into debt in the first place? Um, Yeah. Another thing with credit cards, it's not hundred percent successful, but you absolutely can call and request a lower interest rate on mm -hmm. your current cards, especially if you have consistently paid at least your minimum payment every month and been with them for a while. You can, uh, what's her name? Jean Chatsky, Chatsky, Mm -hmm. um, the finance, she has, if you just Google that and Google script for lowering credit card interest rates, she has like a phone script that you can use to call where you say, you know, I've been a loyal customer for, you know, seven years. I've been paying my monthly payment. I don't want to transfer and go to another company, kind of dangle that carrot. But I, I would like to stay with you. I like your cards. The interest is is really difficult in my budget right now. Would you be able to lower my interest rate? I would say even currently with the way you know interest rates have been increasing and stuff, I would say about 75% of the time that people tell me that they did that, it was successful in some way. They might not offer a lower interest rate, but they might say, oh, well, we do... 12 months, 0% interest. So I'll give you 12 months, 0% interest on that exact same card. So then you're not opening up additional lines of credit, right? Like, yes. like you would be with the personal loan. Like that can be a 
thousand dollar phone call, right? Yeah. Like I know everybody hates to get on the phone. We don't want to talk with customer service. It just feels like the worst part of our day if we have to do it. But when you frame it in the context of this call might save me a thousand dollars, then it becomes a little bit easier to pick up that phone and give a call. And like I said, I, I do see it not hundred percent of the time, but 50 to 75% of the time people who call who are loyal customers and just request a lower interest rate so that they can stay with that company do find some sort of some sort of benefit that they're willing to offer. Even if that, you know, yeah. you ask for 5% less interest and they say, oh, well, we can do 3%. That's still going to save you money. Yeah. I'm glad that we're talking about this because two months ago inside my membership, we kind of have a topic that we focus on every month. And in October we did, we focused on debt. I had a lot of women inside my membership who I encouraged everyone. I said, I want all of you to call Mm -hmm. all of your, I want you to call every single credit card company. I want you to call your student loan providers. If you have a personal loan, call and just talk to a human being on the other Mm -hmm. side of the phone and just ask them what they can do for you. Especially for those of you who are in those situations where you're like, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I can't get ahead. I feel like I just have enough to make my minimum payments every single month. Especially for those of you who feel like Mm -hmm. you're in in situations like that, call your creditors, Mm -hmm. call them and talk to human beings on the other side of the phone. And I will say that for credit cards specifically, I had a lot of women in my community who would call and what the credit card companies would offer them, which not saying that this situation makes sense for everyone, but several women in my community said that their credit card companies offered them almost kind of like a payment or like a, like a personal loan kind of Mm -hmm. like payment plan without having to consolidate the credit card debt into a personal loan. Mm -hmm. So what the credit card company did was they said, we will take your credit card debt. We're going to drastically cut the interest down. So the interest gets cut from like, you know, let's say 25% to like 7%. Mm -hmm. And you have to pay us back this balance over a span of like five years. And Mm -hmm. so it also drastically reduces the monthly payment that you have to make. There are some stipulations. And I think just be very, very clear with what those stipulations Mm -hmm. are ahead of time. I know what they told me was one, it's like, you can't use the card anymore. It's one of the rules. They're like, yes, you can no longer use this card anymore. You cannot put any more transactions on the card. Mm -hmm. And after the card is paid off in whatever time period, we're going to close the account. Mm -hmm. So that's another stipulation is like, we're going to close the account. And some people are like, well, then I'm going to close the account and I'm going to lose the credit history. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, first of all, that's going to happen five years from now. Yeah. And secondly, I'm like, if this helps you mm-hmm. get this huge monkey off your back yep. in a way that is more doable to you in terms of just like a monthly payment, I actually think that's a really fair trade to make. So yeah, yeah I, I love that advice of just like, just call. And I'm with you. It's like the last thing I want to do is get on the phone and and talk to somebody, (laughs) but just call. I love how you said like this call could be like a thousand dollar phone call. Mm -hmm. And I think when Mm -hmm. you're looking at it that way, it's like, okay, well, let's go. Let's pick up the phone and call. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to kind of hear your advice to the person who they've done this, right? They've taken all these steps. They're like, okay, I've made my plan for my money and for my debt. I have a very clear roadmap of how I'm going to get out of debt, but My plan is telling me that this is going to take five years, Mm -hmm. six Mm -hmm. years, seven years. What is your advice to somebody in that situation? Because I know 
you and I have both been on debt payoff journeys that have taken years. I think we get really brainwashed when we get on social media and we see these stories where they're like, I paid off Mm $300,000 in three months. And you're like, what? Like, yes, we're both doctors. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's like, so what's your advice to the person who they've done the plan and it's like, okay, here we go. Like Mm -hmm. this is going to take years. I think the biggest thing is to not have this vision that my life starts when I pay off my debt, that like I'll start enjoying things when I've checked this giant box that's five years away. So building into that budget, building into that plan, tangible ways that you truly deeply enjoy your life, not just like in a little I'm on a budget kind of way, but like truly enjoy it. So if there is something that matters deeply to you, build it into the budget, like make it part of the plan because you're not going to see long-term success. If you try to strip absolutely everything you love out of the budget for the sake of being debt-free, that's just Mm -hmm. not, not only is that not worth it, but it's like not going to actually end up where you're trying to get. So what that looks like is like personal spending cash for each person. Um, If you have two people managing one set of finances, they should each have personal spending cash. When we first started this process of building up our savings and paying off our debt, we got into a few money squabbles about the way that each of us were spending money. He liked to save up over time and then buy really big things where I was like, I would never buy something that was that expensive. But then I, on the other hand, was constantly spending four or five dollars, you know, daily or whatever. Uh Um, And so then he was like, where is all this even going? (laughs) So when we established the personal spending idea, we actually called it our no questions asked money where we were like, okay, in the big picture, we're in this together and we know what our like overarching goals are. But inside that plan, we're each allowing ourselves to have a no questions asked spending, you know, amount. Mm-hmm. That was pivotal to me as a spender. I mean, he could sock money away like a squirrel for decades before he would spend it. I need to be able to like do things, right? So that completely changed not only how we communicated about it, but how I felt about the process because I was like, oh, we're paying off our debt and I'm not constantly saying no to myself. I think that is really important. The other thing is to find what incentivizes you and build those rewards or pick-me-ups, whatever, into the process at benchmarks. So if you have Mm. 10 debts and they're going to take, like you said, five years to pay off, decide that after the first two are paid off that that next month, instead of sending that 500 to debt, you know, your family is going for a weekend away. That is not going to detract from the overall plan. So having benchmark goals where you're like, you know, whether it's our first 5,000 paid off or whether it's our first paid in full or whatever it is, especially if you can decide things that you currently feel like are not financially feasible, where you're like, oh, because of our debt, because of our lack of savings, we could not take the kids and go do this thing, you know, go to this water park, whatever it is decide that when our first three debts are paid off, we're going to that water park. So it significantly shortens the amount of time that you have to wait in order to feel a tangible difference in your life by paying off your debt. And what that does is it connects the mundane task of paying off debt to these exciting things that you felt like weren't possible. So while you're at that water park with your kids, watching them have fun in your head, you're like, we're here because we paid off debt. It doesn't have to be that we paid all of it off. It's just that we paid off this significant chunk. And what that does is it really, really rewires our thinking process to say, 
the things that feel boring are opening the doors that I want to be opened. And we find ourselves refreshed by doing something like that and re-energized to be motivated to pay off the next ones. So having benchmarks that celebrate the progress long before you actually get to the finish line is a game changer for that motivation piece. I love that approach because I think it's just so much more balanced than I think a lot of the paths, debt-free paths that I think a lot of us are accustomed to hearing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that the message that gets pushed out, the big message is very much in this like all or nothing black and white type of land, right? There's no gray area. It's basically like you are nobody until you're Mm -hmm. debt-free. You don't deserve to have fun until you're, you don't deserve to live life until you're Mm debt-free. And that extreme thinking works and motivates like a very small subset of people who are very like thrive off of that type of thinking. Mm -hmm. But I think for just like the average person, it actually does so much more harm than good. And it Mm -hmm. actually, that mindset and that approach actually stops so many people from even just approaching the debt-free process Mm -hmm. to begin with. And I hear this all the time. People are like, I'm scared. Like Mm -hmm. I am scared to make a budget. I am scared to change my spending habits. I am Mm -hmm. scared to get out of debt because they have concocted this idea in their head of how terrible it's going to be and how awful it's going to feel. And of course, like as human beings, our emotional experience is the primary driver to doing or not doing anything. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, of course, if you feel like this is going to suck and it's going to feel awful and you're going to feel deprived and restricted the Mm -hmm. entire time, like it makes total sense to me why you're completely resisting this process. And so I love that your approach is like celebrate along the way and work in milestones. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this too, like this is the advice that I typically give is the power behind having a very clear plan with not only your money, but your debt is once you have a plan for your debt and it's very clear to you, it allows you to understand the trade-offs mm-hmm. of your choices. One time I had a woman ask me, she was almost like asking me for my permission. Like, mm-hmm. well, is it okay? Like my family, we take a trip up to the lake every summer or something like that. And it, and it usually costs, you know, a couple thousand dollars between mm-hmm. like gas and food and all that stuff for the week. Is it okay that we still do that trip while we're mm-hmm. getting out of debt? Yeah. And I was like, A, of course it is. I'm like, listen, some people will choose not to take the trip. Mm-hmm. Because some people are going to be in that like balls to the wall, all or nothing. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that works for some people. Great. But I think for most people, it's like, I still want to be taking this trip. And my advice to her was just just understand the financial trade-off of mm-hmm. that choice. Because yep. by you taking, let's just say this $3,000 every year to go take this trip, of course, yes, there's a mathematical reality to this. That's 3000 less dollars that could be going to your debt that isn't. But just understand the trade-off of that. Like, Mm -hmm. how is that impacting your debt-free journey in terms of the timeline, like how it's going to affect the timeline and also maybe just, you know, the extra interest that you'll be paying out of pocket just for it taking longer. But to me, I'm like, that's how you can make an empowered choice is when you can clearly see the trade-off of that to say Mm -hmm. us taking this trip every single year, that means it's going to take us an extra Mm -hmm. year to get out of debt. But knowing that we can still have three or four years of memories Mm -hmm. with my family, like especially when my kids are young or like whatever, Mm -hmm. right? I will take that year. Like it's worth it to me. And that's how you get into a place where you feel empowered to make these decisions, where you don't Mm -hmm. feel guilty and where you don't feel like, oh, I'm in debt. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be taking this trip. 
it's like, no, I understand what the trade-offs of this choice is. And I am more than willing to make this trade-off for what I'm going to gain from it. Yeah. And I think if you can see it like an experiment too, of I'm going to take something that I used to do all the time and put it on a credit card. I used to always Christmas. I I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I used to always put Christmas on a credit card and just figure it out in January. Right. So if we can say, okay, you know, during 2024, I'm going to be paying off debt from January to September. And then in October and November, I'm going to pause paying off my debt to set aside a thousand dollars for Christmas. And then in December, I'll have a thousand dollars of cash with the name Christmas on it. And I can go back to paying off my debt in December and have cash for Christmas and not put it on a credit card. When we actually experience doing something in cash that we always did on debt, Mm. that's another one of those big milestones where we're like, I did the exact same thing, but it feels completely different. So maybe for, you know, for that person that takes trips where we're like, you know, maybe somebody is like, I go camping every summer, our non-negotiable, our family's not giving that up. Great. But if camping used to throw your budget over the edge and cause you to take money out of savings or rack up the credit card debt, then stay right now. I'm going to make a plan for doing that exact same trip and having the funds for it ahead of time. So when I'm sitting by that fire or whatever it is, I know for a fact that when we drive home, I'm not carrying a balance home with me. That's another thing that really is one of those rewiring switches where we're like, I used to do this all the time. And I would sit and put a happy face on with my family because I was on a trip. But in the back of my head, Mm -hmm. I was thinking this payment is going to be more than we can handle. When we experience that exact same trip without that nagging feeling, it is, I mean, you know, because we're both done debt-free dreams, but it's just like, it's so wonderful. Like, Yeah. yeah, it's so nice. Yeah. I think that's just the testament to the power of planning going back to what you were saying ahead of time, like that's all it is. Like that's all, whatever you want to call it. I know we like, we concoct all these different names for it because when we say budget, people like Mm -hmm. shrink back into their shell and they're like a budget. So we'll call it a plan or a money map or like whatever. But to your point, it's like, it's just a plan. And Mm -hmm. there's so much power when you have a plan. Cause I always say like a plan brings clarity and clarity yep. brings control and control brings calm. That's kind mm-hmm. of like the chain. Yeah. And it's that. just, it's, it's just a completely different experience when you go into something knowing like I've planned for this, I've given some thought to it, like we're prepared. And I always say like, I'm like, the saddest thing is when you're on a trip with your family or when you're doing something that you've been looking forward to, but yet the whole time you're preoccupied. Like the whole time it's like, you're there, but like, you're not really there. I think all of us have kind of experienced that at one point where it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm here, but I'm not really here because I'm actually like in the back of my head, like worried about what's going to be waiting for me when I get home. I love that so much. Okay. Let's talk about Christmas. I told Mm -hmm. you before we started recording because you've been putting such amazing content on your Instagram lately about how you're approaching Christmas this year. And this is the same for, for me and my husband too. I want to be transparent about that. Like my Mm -hmm. husband lost his job back in June and still hasn't found work. And so Mm -hmm. we're, we're relying on, you know, my self-employment income. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're in the same boat this year where it's like, we had to have a conversation about this. Like Christmas this year is not going to look the same as Mm -hmm. Christmas in past years. And I know you're kind of doing Christmas differently with your family Mm -hmm. this year. So can you share what you're doing? Cause I saw it and I was like, Oh, this is so good. I love it. Yeah. So I've, I've done this in years past. I didn't do it in the last two years, but I'm doing it again. I have just found that the 
money that I can spend on Christmas can stretch so much further if I just get a little creative with where I'm buying gifts from, what I'm buying, et cetera. So for context, I didn't say this at the beginning. I have four children who are eight and under. So they're eight, almost seven, five, and two, three boys and a girl. What I'm doing for them is spending 120 to 150 per kid. And then on top of that, I have 150 that I've set aside for like family gifts. So whether that's games or just something that we would all use together. And then I'm going about it, looking for things that have a high impact, a high amount of joy that, that, that it will bring to that kid without me needing to drop a ton of money on it. For me, that looks like looking at eBay after I find something on Amazon that I like or searching through Facebook Marketplace. I cannot tell you how many parents are currently selling last year's Christmas gifts in anticipation of all the new Christmas gifts that are going to come in. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen a noted difference in the number of bikes, dollhouses, trampolines, Lego sets that are all over these used sites. You could get them, you know, you can order them online and have them shipped to you like Mercari or eBay, or you can pick them up like they marketplace, but I'm looking at them and, and thinking, okay, I could buy this. I absolutely have the money to buy this thing new, but it would probably be one of three gifts that I get for that child. Or I could buy the exact same thing used and get seven gifts for him instead. Little kids do not know the difference. Like Mm -hmm. they, they just, I mean, I, I bought a individual little little tykes trampoline that has like a handlebar and you jump on it or whatever. My five-year-old specifically is really high energy. I absolutely guarantee you that when he opens it on Christmas, he's not going to ask, is this new or is this used? Like they don't even like know what that did is. Did you put it's this just, on Facebook Marketplace, yeah, mom? Like, where, like who did you pick <laughs> this up from? Because they just don't know. The, the joy of opening it is going to be the thing that he is focused on in that yeah. moment. The experience is identical, whether I spent 70 on it or whether I spent 20 on it. So I'm just really leaning into that reality where I know that, that, that their experience is not going to be changed by me taking creative approaches to how I find gifts for them. And so that's what I'm doing. I love that approach so much. And I just want to say this too. This is just something that our brains tend to do is we... We make different mean bad. And I think especially like around the holidays, because I think it's just a time where there's just so many like memories and traditions Mm -hmm. and things like that, which this just feels like a hamster wheel. It just feels like the holidays, no matter how you celebrate or what you believe, it just feels like every year has to top the next. If that's how you feel about the holidays, I really want you to challenge that because Mm -hmm. first of all, that's exhausting. And Mm -hmm. second of all, it's like, if you, if you continually do that, where it's like each year has to get better and better and top the next year, like eventually you're just going to get to the point where it's like, we can't do this. Like, this is yeah. just too much. Like what's so the end game? Yeah, exactly. Like at what point do we just say like, okay, this is good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we can stop. Everyone has enough. Mm-hmm. The holidays is going to be good for everybody. But what I've been kind of telling to people and something that I've been really anchoring into this year, because of course, like this is my first Christmas with my daughter where I feel like she last Christmas, she was like a little potato still. She was like four months old and Mm -hmm. just a little bean or six months. Now she's going to be 18 months. So like, I know she won't remember it ultimately, Mm -hmm. but she still can kind of understand what's yeah, what's happening, but just kind of anchoring into like that moment of like what I know she's really going to enjoy and like mm-hmm. what's really going to make her happy. It's like she she doesn't care where it's from. She doesn't mm-hmm. care how much it costs. If it's new, if it's used, that's not what matters. But also too, yeah. like what I want to offer to everyone as well is just like really challenge your brain if your brain is trying to make different mean bad. Because mm-hmm. I think that this year will be a year where the holidays are going to be different for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But I also think that that opens up 
an opportunity for you to experience the holidays in a whole new way. Yeah. You know, like what the Grinch says, it's like Christmas isn't found like in a store, what you buy. This could be a year for you where you experience the holidays in a whole new year and where you're actually forming new traditions with your family and doing things that you've never done before because you're having to rely on like maybe being more creative than you've had Mm -hmm. to be in past years. Right. And that's not a bad thing. No, no, not at all. One of the posts that I made about it that really, I think struck a good chord with people was I said, I refuse to believe that the amount of love I have for someone is tied to how many dollars I spend on them. And I I think parents especially need that reminder, just like, hopefully that can be kind of like a a balm to their soul if they need to hear that, that like, that I have to demonstrate how much I love my child by spending more. and, And that's another, that's a really toxic thought that I see a lot too, is like that somehow by going far above your means, that's how much you love them. Right. Like, like, Oh, I just love my kids so much that I just like blew the budget on Christmas. Ha ha ha. And it's like, that also creates an environment for that child in January that is stressful because they now have a parent who is stressed. And now like every time the parent sees the child playing with that thing in their head, it's like, that's the thing that I'm still trying to pay off now. Um, If they're even still playing with it in January. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which chances (laughs) are good that they're not (laughs) exactly. And so I just think I I made that, yeah, a couple of weeks ago where I was just like, I refuse to believe that my love for my parents, my friends, my children, my husband is measured by the number of dollars I spend on them. Amen to that. Okay. That's where we need to wrap right there. That's a perfect ending. You said it beautifully. Well, Carly, thank you so much for being here. I'm like, wow. It truly feels like we've been talking for 10 minutes. But why don't you share before we go, just share with everybody where they can find you. Mm -hmm. And if somebody wants to work with you, just kind of share just the options that you have and and what that looks like. Sure. So where I live most of the time is on Instagram. So I'm at debtfree.mom. So you can find me there. That's where I live in mostly in stories and building that community. Like we said, talking about contentment and just enjoying our life while doing some of these bigger things like paying off debt. My website is debtfreemom.co.co. And we have all kinds of resources at all kinds of price points. We are very conscious of the fact that we're specifically trying to attract people who are like, help my money is a disaster. So we have all kinds of free resources. We have a podcast, the Debt Free Mom podcast. And then the services that we have, the $9 budget template that we have is by far our most popular thing. It's a budget by pay period, breaking down your money into each pay period instead of each month to help with that consistency and with that accuracy. I find it much easier to try to stick to one set of numbers for 14 to 15 days than trying to stick to it for 30 days, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's really popular. If someone is so overwhelmed that they're like, I know this is what I need to do, but I'm either paralyzed by fear or I'm just unsure that I'm going to do it well. The service that we offer where we actually provide that side-by-side assistance is a custom budget. So what we do is we take that template that we have broken down by pay period and we have clients send a worksheet filled out with all of, not only all their numbers, but like their income, their expenses. And then also we ask like, what are you most frustrated about? And what are your biggest goals? And then we build that into a budget and we set it up not just for one month, but for your next eight to 12 weeks, really mapping out this kind of long-term consistency. So that is the best way to have some guidance if someone is like DIY is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So you can find more information about custom budgets on the website and on uh, Instagram as well. We have doors closed right now, but we're going to open the most spots in one month that we've ever opened in January. We've hired some people to help with that. So we'll have lots of space for everybody who is 
finishing up this year and being like, all right, 2024, I need to, I need to get better. I need to have a better plan. That's what we're going to do is open lots of spots for people who really want to start the year strong with their money. Wonderful. Well, y'all, I will put all of Carly's information in the show notes so you can find everything directly there. So Carly, thank you for being on. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks. I loved it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Money Love Podcast. If you're loving the podcast, then I want to invite you to join me in the Overcoming Overspending membership. It's where we take this work deeper and apply the concepts and coaching from each week's episode into your own life. By being a member, you have exclusive access to my Overcoming Overspending process, 10 monthly live coaching calls with me, a private podcast, members-only community, monthly money topic and challenge, bonus courses, and so much more. There's nowhere else like it out there to level up your finances and life. Simply go to overcomingoverspending.com to join and you can enter in the code MLP30 at checkout to save $30 on your first month inside the membership. See you inside.